after long wait. And you all wondering, will we ever get back to the book of Romans? The day has arrived. Today is the day. And all God's people said, All right. If you haven't been uh, uh, around for very long, we started studying the book of Romans in January 2018. And we're taking our time. We're going through the whole book. We take breaks along the way, and we just got done with a really long break. We took a break for the whole season of Lent, and we did something different. And now we're back to the book of Romans, and we're going to ease into it with a passage that's, that's a, it's a fun passage. I think it's a fun passage anyways. What does a pastor mean when he says this passage is fun? Well, some passages are like, you know, coddle you and just encourage you and love on you. The Lord is my shepherd, right? That's just great. Some passages are like, hit you in the face, like, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to hear that too, and that's great. Well, this is a fun passage. I think it's a fun passage because uh, it's a tricky one. So uh, it's not going to coddle you, and it may not smack you in the face, although if it does, that's, that's, that's good too. Lord, do as you wish, Lord. But um, uh, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one that is uh, 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 one of the most often abused, misused, and misunderstood passages, maybe in the entire Bible, this passage that I'm about to read to you. This passage that I'm about to read to you has been used, going back as far as recorded history, uh, by Christians to oppress people. This passage has been used by, goodness, where can I start? Well, I'll just start with uh, our English-speaking history. Uh, in the... Uh, the English Empire. What were they called? The, the British... Yeah, the British Empire. Thank you. The British Empire. As they were expanding around the world, they used the passages, this passage uh, in places like where they were colonizing in, 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 in uh, India and uh, the West Indies. And, 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 and then the other Europeans used all over Africa as they were colonizing all over Africa. They would use this passage to tell the people who were being colonized that what we're doing is of God, so get in your place. When the uh, Europeans came to this country, they took much a similar attitude towards the Native Americans. Later on, towards the Africans who were imported to this country in slavery, Christians, the church, taught this passage to keep them in their place after slavery was abolished. Well, even during slavery, when, when the North stopped the practice of slavery, but the South still had slavery, uh, the politicians used this, pra- this passage to tell Northerners to return the slaves if you found them. The Fugitive Slave Act, you might recall from your history lessons. Uh, and even after slavery was abolished during Jim Crow uh, America, uh, sadly, many in our own Christian tradition used this passage um, to tell uh, African Americans and other minorities to know their place. The Nazis used this passage to tell the church, don't act up, stay docile during the rise and the reign of that terrible regime. And I could go on. But you get the point, right? 
This passage that we're, do- we're dealing with today is one that I hope all of you as Christians, all of you as Bible-believing, Bible-knowing people will be able to go into the world and whenever you hear somebody misapply this passage, you'll be able to say, actually, hold on, stop, pause. Because it's, it's one that's being misused even today. I don't usually name names. I don't make it a point to call out others either in culture or in uh, the faith by name. But in this case, I'll make uh, an exception. Uh, a year or two ago, a big pastor down in Dallas, Robert uh, Jeffress of Dallas First Baptist, great big church down there, used this passage to say that our president has the biblical authority to go to war with North Korea. From, from this passage. Not long after that, um, Jeff Sessions, who was the attorney general at the time, used, this was really recently, used this passage to say, to justify the practice of removing children from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border. That because they're breaking the law, these families who are fleeing from a bad government to what they believe is a good government, because they're breaking the law, then the Bible says the government can basically do whatever it wants or impose punishment for that law-breaking act. And even nursing children, some, in some cases, the stories are, are horrific. And we continue as a nation to deal with the, the fallout of that moral stain. So we're going to talk about this passage, and let's see what it really does mean. What is it really teaching? It's really not that complicated. I'm not going to take a whole long time to explain it because it should be pretty obvious to all of us reasonable people once we look at it, what Paul, the author of Romans here, is doing. But turn with me, if you will, or flip, scroll, whatever you do, to Romans 13. Let's say a prayer together, and then let's go to God's Word. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that your word is perfect. Your word is perfect because though it is written by human beings, they were writing under the guidance of you, God, Holy Spirit. But just because your word is perfect doesn't mean that we always apply your word perfectly. We know that we fail to do that all too often. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, because it's not just the people that I've talked about, and it's not just this passage. I have misapplied your word. I have misused it. So I pray that you would forgive me and, and, and cause me and all of us to become aware of when we misunderstand or misapply your word, because this is important. It is important, God, that we take your word seriously. Bless us now, Lord, as we study this passage from Romans. Teach us, give us ears to hear what you would have to say. Give us eyes to see your truth, Lord. We would pray this in Jesus' name, knowing that you're going to do it. Because you are faithful. Amen. So the passage reads as follows. Romans chapter 13. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those, those authorities, that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You can see where somebody might take this, right? No wonder it's caused problems. But let's read on. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? In other words, do you want to not worry about them? Do you not not be afraid of them? Okay. Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. It means for no reason. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And for the moment, this will read the end. This will end the reading of God's word. And you can see, of course, how this passage can be difficult. Whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. Okay. Question for you. If you want to use your notes page or your handy-dandy device, your notes on your device, I'm going to ask you three questions, and we'll answer them. Question. The first question that Paul's getting at here is, is the church subject to Rome? This is what Paul, the author of the book of Romans, is answering. Rome taught that Caesar is God, or Caesar is God's son. That language was not unique to the Christian church. The emperor claimed to be God's son. And so, is the church now supposed to be subject to Rome? You can see for some people this would create a tension, right? We're not, we don't believe that garbage. Our God is the one true God. Jews and Christians both stubbornly refuse to believe this about the emperor. And so now, as churches are coming together, this, this is being written in the first 50 years of the Christian church movement, as churches are starting to form now all over the place, they have to wonder, well, what's our relationship supposed to be with City Hall? Who's not Christian? Paul's answer, is the church subject to Rome, to Caesar? The answer is yes. Normally. Normally, yes, normally, because all governments are good. Even the worst government does an awful lot of good. Even the worst government prevents an 
awful lot of evil. In the most backwards, dysfunctional government in the world, what would happen if you show up and start shooting up, shooting up people in the streets? Somebody is going to take you out. Probably that somebody will be a government employee, a soldier, or a police officer. I can drive down I-69 from here to Fort Wayne being relatively confident that somebody isn't going to come driving at me in the other direction in my same lane. Why? Because government. I can be pretty confident that somebody, most days, isn't going to be swerving in and out of traffic at 100 miles an hour. Why? Because government. And we could go on and on and on. Government to God is a good thing. God is a God of order. Do you remember, uh, do you remember the, 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 your, the beginning of your Bible, the Genesis story? It says, in the beginning... What's to say? In the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? That's important there. What, fire represents the presence of God in the Scriptures. You know what water represents? Chaos. Water represents chaos. These guys didn't have shipping Industries. They didn't have cruise ships. They didn't have submarines. They didn't know marine biology. They didn't know. The water was the most terrifying thing in the world to an ancient person. Completely terrifying, right? Floods, they came out of nowhere. Rains, if they came, you could eat. If they didn't come, you would be starving and you knew nothing about whether to predict them or not. Water's kept. God is a God of order. God hovers over the chaos. And then what does he do in the Genesis story? This is so cool. What's he do? One by one, what's he do? Let there be light. And then he separates, right? The dry ground from the water. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's creating order in chaos. He's ordering the chaos. He's bringing order to chaos. God is a governor. God's a governor. And then the culmination of the creation story, God creates humans. And we have the first elected officials, Adam and Eve. And just like every elected official ever since, they were corrupt. Doggone it. They were charged with continuing God's work of bringing order to the chaos, of governing only they chose the chaos over against the order, and now here we are. So you see, government is good. Government is of God. So this leads us to the next question. If all government is good, and if Christians are supposed to be subject to Rome, to Washington... Indianapolis, whatever. What, if the next question is, what does Romans 13 have to say about submission to bad governments? 
Don't give me the answer yet. Wait. Who knows? Who knows? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Okay, I'll give you a clue. It's a one-word answer. Not God, not Jesus, not Bible. Huh? Nothing! Nothing! This passage isn't talking about governments when governments are bad. He is working on the assumption that government is good, that government is doing the right thing. Even the worst government does a lot of good, and even the worst government prevents a lot of evil. All governments create order. Paul isn't talking about what happens when governments do wrong. So this will lead us to the third question I want to ask. If the government is, good, is bad, or if a good government is doing something bad, what should the church do? How should we react? And I won't ask you to guess at the answer to this. I'll just give it to you. We must consult texts other than Romans 13. What did Daniel do when King uh, Darius, was it, forbade the people from praying to anybody but him? What did Daniel do? He resisted. He prayed. What did uh, Peter and John say to their government officials when they were told they had to stop telling people about Jesus? No. They said in Acts 4.19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God... It's funny, my autocorrect, never mind. You must, whether it is good to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot speak, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Or maybe you could ask a kid. Maybe you could ask a kid. Kids, should you always obey your teachers? Caleb. Should you always obey your teacher? Should you always obey your teacher? Okay, what if your teacher, Sharon, says to you, I want you to go over and pull Susie's hair as hard as you can. Should you obey your teacher? No. Very good. Very good, right? Even a child knows the basics to this ethical question. Church, the rule isn't that complicated. If the government tells you to do something that God forbids you to do, disobey the government. If the government tells you not to do something that God commands you to do, disobey the government. Now... That's the overarching principle. How that plays out into the voting booth and the politics of modern day America, we ain't going there today. But that is the basic biblical principle that we should start from. What's our last question? Was that our last one? We've got one more, right? Why, why is this here? Why, 
are we supposed to submit to our government? Why does Paul bother to say this in Romans 13? So that we can be free to love our neighbor. That's what Romans 13 is all about. Being able to love your neighbor. And how do I know this? Book ends. Think book ends. If you're at a passage of scripture and it doesn't make sense to you, zoom out. Read more. Before and after. Context. Let me read to you from Romans 12, 14 to 21. Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, means prideful, right? Do not associate, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then comes our passage about the government. Then we read this from Romans 13, 8. After our passage, the other bookend... Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Do what Caesar tells you to do so that Caesar will leave you alone so that you can be the church. Now, what does this mean for us in the United States today? As I reflect on this passage in our context, 21st century America, it tells me to be careful that I don't care too much, or that I don't care more for my country than I care for my church. It's easy to get wrapped up in the law, the government, politics. It's possible for that to be a hobby, so I'm not going to tell you not to be a political junkie. Okay, that's a fine hobby, but there's also a fine line just like any hobby. My sports team, right? I got to be mindful. I better not like my care more about whether my sports team wins than I care about whether the lost are coming to Christ. Amen. All right, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with being a sports fan. Well, the same goes for politics. We are we have the blessing of being in, allowed invited to participate in our government. It's a relatively new thing in the human experience. Great, participate, but be careful. And this is it's a gut check here. Do you care more about the nation than you care about the church? Because the United States of America has an expiration date. The Church of Jesus Christ does not. It also tells me not to mistake my government or our government for his government. Jesus, he already defeated Satan. 
When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he disarmed the powers of, of death and sin. He took away their ammo. Because death is no longer something that we fear. And Jesus promised now he, that he would come again. And when that happens, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But until that happens, our salvation does not come through our government. And that's a word, I don't care if you're a conservative or a liberal, progressive, whatever. The, salva- the government is not going to save you. The government is not the answer. And then, I guess the third thing I would take away from this passage is, when government is not behaving like Paul says that governments are supposed to behave, to limit evil and to reward or to promote good, when government's not doing that, I better be prepared to act. I better be prepared to say something. I better be prepared to take action and suffer the consequences. I better be prepared to resist. Daniel was thrown to the lions. Paul was in jail many times. You are not promised that obeying God will be smooth sailing. You are not promised that you will have a place in a political party. You are not promised that all your family and friends will adore you and will agree with you. But you're promised that God will be with you. To the end of the age. Jesus promised his disciples and he promised you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. That's a promise. You can cling to that. We are free to honor the emperor, so to speak. We are free to... Submit to our governing authorities because we know that they are all subject to God. That's what sovereign means. Some people mistake the word sovereign for control. God being sovereign doesn't mean God is controlling everything. It means like the the confession tells us that God is ordering and establishing limits on everything. So some people might say, oh, how could God allow this bad, terrible thing to happen? Well, I don't know. But you know what else I don't know? I also don't know how much evil God is preventing when this bad thing is happening. Do you ever think about it that way? It's a mystery. It's confusing. I'm not God. But God is sovereign. He's limiting and ordering everything that happens, even evil governments. He is ordering them. He is limiting them. They can do nothing without his approval, without his, I just said not control. They can do nothing 
outside of his permissive will. Right? And because of that, because of that, we can trust. Whether we're suffering under a bad government or whether we're blessed out of the, under the best government that the world has ever seen, we can trust that God's with us. He is on the move. He has not taken his hand off the wheel. It's okay. Whatever happens, I guess there's an election Tuesday, isn't there? Probably nothing y'all are losing sleep over, right? Oh, Drew's shaking his head. No, did you know there's an election Tuesday? Oh, okay. Y'all should vote. There's my... But uh, even if it were an election that we thought were hugely consequential, think about it from God's perspective. He's got this. He's got this. He's got this because the, the, the worst thing a government has ever done to a person, they did to Jesus. They did to God himself. 